Hey Growlers, Editor Scott here, asking you to please stay tuned after the end of this episode as we have a tasty teaser in store for you for our special Halloween-themed episode. Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Blue Sky. I'm uh, Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore, still just kind of on Instagram right now. I remember we talked about Blue Sky last time we recorded, and then I proceeded to forget all about wanting to take a look at it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so just find me on the Discord. <laughs> Discord is the, still the better place, I think, to reach Brandon and I both. Um, I've actually started posting things on Blue Sky, so my account is active. It doesn't just exist. I uh, have also been trying to get involved with threads, but I'm not really sure I care for it. I was like, oh, threads sounds interesting. And then I saw a meta product and I was like, meh, <laughs> never mind. I don't even care about I don't even care about the product placement or anything like that, because like I've actually found some useful stuff from like Instagram ads and things. But uh, uh, I don't know. It just feels like Instagram without the pictures, which I guess is like most social media. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at it backwards, <laughs> but um, I have yet to find a, a convincing reason to use it. And I'm nope. not sure that I want to spend the time searching for one. Oh, that's fair. More my point was that uh, Facebook being a meta product and then threads being a meta product. Like Instagram's about the only thing they've got that I have any respect for. And they definitely didn't build Instagram. They bought it after it was fully established. So yeah. speaking of uh, valuable things I've found via Instagram ads, I want to share this really quick before we get into the meat of everything today. I was telling you about this, but um, I bought a Kool-Aid man oversized D20 because I was uh, in the morning, I drink my coffee and I'm just sort of uh, flipping through Instagram and I saw this. I'm like, okay, well, that seems really cool, but it probably costs way too much, but I'm going to look at it. And it was only like, it was like $12 and something. And it's an oversized red D20 with the, the 20 being Kool-Aid man's face. And then it comes with its own dice bag, which is uh, a basically a replica of an old like cherry Kool-Aid uh, like packet uh, and it came within like three days like the shipping was like super minimal um, it was very much worth it I love it uh, it's it, like it it feels like it could kill somebody if I threw it hard <laughs> enough um, but I haven't bought new dice in several years I think not since like Magfest 2019 I bought a nice set of like blue and red metallic dice with sort of a steampunk element to them i think it, i think they were called like rockabilly steampunk or something like that so i very rarely buy new dice uh but i saw this and i was like that's pretty that's pretty fantastic because of course 
you can you can with this when you roll a 20 you pretty much have to scream like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fantastic i do really appreciate how the d20 has that very rich red kool-aid color to it oh yeah it's fantastic um it like it is exactly like it appears uh, on on screen it just feels like i sh- it feels like you shouldn't give it to a five-year-old because it's going to make them extremely <laughs> hyper <laughs> but uh uh it's available from like several different vendors out there the price varies a little bit depending on where you found it i got this off of uh, viridian gaming which i'd never bought anything from them before but they did a fantastic job on the fulfillment um so i i recommend them at least at least in this instance uh, but yeah, absolutely. If you're looking for uh, a, a cool little like uh, conversation starter die, this is uh, this one's really fun. It's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> it's it's so silly. Um, I I have not yet taken the time on Blue Sky to seek out where all the RPG nerds be. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to do a little bit of that exploration to see uh, who already migrated off of Twitter. Uh-huh. Yeah, mostly most of my Twitter activity now is just uh, news related stuff um, like WTVR and various people telling me about goings on in Henrico County. And that's about it. I never really had that variety of following. So most of my Twitter feed now is stuff that I didn't want to see in the first place. It's all the like suggested for you. And I'm like, I don't. Why did you suggest this for me? Uh huh. I don't want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like some woman taking a thirst trap photo of herself and i'm like i don't you uh, really okay great you, re- you really didn't want to see it <laughs> um not, not only do i not care for this but also if my wife sees it she'll have questions well let's talk about stuff that we want to see um hell yeah namely namely uh fandover shattered obelisk which we promised uh, in the in the last episode. See, our, you know, as we said, our original plan was to do a double-barreled episode last time, where we did uh, Big B's Glory of the Giants and Fandelver and Below, Shattered Obelisk, and uh, you know, just because of life and stuff, it just didn't really work out. So that's why we're doing this now. Um, and uh, you know, we're also recording this on the Saturday before it comes out because we can't be bothered to <laughs> get stuff done earlier. So. Well- well, like at the very least, I can say uh, we do have a scheduled recording night coming up this week. So if we can figure out content for it, then we can absolutely do that. Yeah, we should probably look at our our planning spreadsheet after we get done yes. recording this. Yes, we should. Yeah. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, everybody. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we picked up uh, Fandelver and Below Shattered Obelisk. Now, last year when we did the episode where we previewed all the um, official D&D releases that were coming out this year. If I recall correctly, and anybody feel free to go back and look and then call me a liar subsequently. But if I recall correctly, this was the one that I was looking forward to the most, just because of the, the concept for it, because the way it was sold was basically Fandelver, but with cosmic horror. And that's mostly true. Um, it's, it's interesting how it, how the book came together and I've got some notes and I'll go over that in a minute. Um, but 
you know, the idea that they were going to take uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver and turn it into a full on campaign rather than just the introductory adventure that's supposed to teach you via goblin ambush how combat is supposed to work and all this stuff. It was it was intriguing to me. And I was wondering, like, I was wondering how they were going to do it, because there's a couple of ways they could have gone about it. Um, you know, the first one is they take Fandelver and then they tack some extra stuff onto it. The second one was they do like a whole full on remix of it and like weave new stuff into it from the beginning. Um, and the other option is that they just use it as a setting and it just it's just something else that happens around Fandelver. Um, yeah. They went they I went with. Oh, go ahead. My, my expectation was that they were going to go with the third option and have it be that the beginner guide, like the starter kit adventure is kind of its own unique and distinct thing, but set in the same region with a lot of the same like groups and some, some of the same NPCs and things like that. So that if you play both, you get unique experiences, um, but you, I don't know, you're you're kind of expanding on it instead of shrinking it down right you would be incorrect um no <laughs> yeah no but it's not it's not all bad it's not all bad um we're gonna get into spoilers about the plot of uh fandover and below the shattered obelisk so if uh you are a player and you have some inkling that your gm is gonna run this uh, don't listen to it or you're going to spoil their fun. Maybe call your GM and ask them if they're going to run this before you listen to this episode. You've already downloaded it. So that's what matters. Uh, <laughs> even, even better. Uh, is there a point where we're not doing spoilers this episode? Probably not. Oh, well, never mind then. I was yeah. going to say we could ask Scott to put in the time code for when we stop having spoilers. No, just because of the way it's structured, like we really have to talk about all of that because it's like a major mm. plot point that differentiates it. Um, okay. I yeah. was looking at some of the stat blocks at the back of the book and I was like, yeah, there's a, there's some pretty clear indicators about how this run goes down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like setting aside us talking about spoilers for this. Like if you have any inkling that your GM is going to run this, like obviously don't, don't even look at the book because you'll immediately be spoiled for everything like on like the second or third page because it gives you that summary of the entire campaign. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was hoping, I was really hoping for a remix of some sort where it felt familiar uh, like Fandover, which I ran once years ago and didn't get all the way through it um, just because I was using it as like a teaching tool for somebody. And... Uh, I'm, I'm reading through it. And when I get to the part where it's breaking down all the different chapters, cause it, you know, everything is set up for milestone leveling in this. So it's all broken down into chapters and where you should be at every particular chapter. I'm like, these chapters seem very familiar. And why does it keep talking? Like it almost is treating chapter five as the entry point to the, to the game. And it took me a little bit of parsing through it to figure that out. Cause I was reading the book a little bit out of order just to try to, get everything that I needed out of it to be able to talk about it. And basically what it is, is chapters one through four are essentially Lost Mine of Fandelver. Ah, Yeah. So half the book is the intro adventure, more or less, more or less. Now they do pepper a few threads in there um, that sort of talk to you about like, 
And I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. We can we can talk about whether it is or not, but I, I kind of I, I I enjoy and respect from one perspective, like how they came at it on this because of where the adventure takes you eventually. It's kind of nice to have this very vanilla setup on on it because it makes the twist a little bit better. Like, for example, it goes through and it, it calls it like it, it has a very, very detailed um, diagram and uh, listing of uh, all of the town of Fandelver, all the stores there, really good backstories and all the NPCs and everything. And it specifically says, like, make sure your party is building relationships with these NPCs because it will come into play later once you get into chapter five and further and you're going to want to make sure that they have sort of an emotional connection to these people yeah you you don't want your adventurers to be adventuring purely for the sake of adventure right because that's that those parties get real murder hobo-y real fast and there's no emotional connection to anything yeah exactly so you know it begins the same uh, Fandel, you know, the town of Fandelver exists in kind of this sort of like lawless wild west frontier. The town is settled on the ruins of this like great stronghold and everything. Um, it's really playing a long game with you. And I, and I kind of like that. And it, it almost makes me wish that they hadn't pitched this as, um, as Fandelver with cosmic horror because Anybody can find that in the marketing material, right? So if if you're paying attention the way some like really hardcore players do, uh, you're you're gonna have it spoiled for you. I mm. and this is why I think maybe it would have been a good idea to change up that setting because, like, really, if you get right down to it, there was no earthly reason why they had to use Lost Mine of Fandelver as the the foundation for this. It could have been anything. Uh, and it would have worked just fine, but well, they would have I had to. Got, go ahead. I always got the impression from Lost Mines of Fandelver that there was more to that area and that story mm -hmm. than we were getting out of that initial adventure, right? And I think I think I'm pretty far from alone on this. So I think that's part of why they used it was because they already had some ideas for things they wanted to do. But that's again part of why I had hoped that the first four chapters would not just be the starter kit all over again yeah i mean when i was reading through it i'm just like oh okay so it starts out with a goblin ambush i'm like well damn it <laughs> um, but but considering where you end up by the end of it um i i actually kind of like the false sense of security that you get going into it like that because you know the big spoiler for it if you haven't been paying attention is that uh by the time you get to the end of it you understand that uh, Illithids have been, you know, from the far realms have been influencing cultists in this area and they are trying to collect the shards of this obelisk that, uh, that's left over from, uh, a, 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 an old magical empire. And the Illithids want to use this to transform everybody in the area into mind flayers because they're trying to use Fandelver as the capital for their new mind flayer empire that they're constructing. Oh my so, God. So yeah. So a hundred percent body horror. Once you get to chapter five, like it, it, the body horror stuff starts then. And there's, you know, you and I were chatting about this before we started recording, but there is like the um, consent box that that's at the beginning of the book where it's like, Hey, 
you really you really need to get consent from folks on this because some you know some folks are not going to like this it's not going to sit well with them so make sure you have that kind of conversation with them which is good it uh, you know it might spoil the twist for some people but I, I would rather folks know what's coming than somebody just have to be like i'm out i can't do this <laughs> um i mean i have a i have a strategy for this personally when it comes to stuff like that which is i will play the game as usual up until the point where either People are starting to catch clues mm-hmm. or uh, I can't not reveal it, at which point I do a hard stop as if the end of a previous episode of a TV show. Mm-hmm. And then I turn my chair around and I spin my hat backwards and I'm like, hey, kids, let's wrap for a second. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about body horror? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have that conversation then and there. And if anybody at the table is like, I can't even be present for it, then I have to redirect a little bit. This is admittedly, I think you said it starts at chapter five. Mm -hmm. Sounds to me like that's probably a you end your session on chapter four if you're going to go that route. So you can have that conversation and then make whatever preparations you need to for going Mm -hmm. forward. Um, well, and that's the thing because it's essentially like two chapters in a book. Um, you've got with chapters one through four, you've got a story that opens and closes and you do not need to progress beyond that if you don't want to, cause it's just Fandelver. And then, then chapters five through eight are like the sequel. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. The, do they, do the they much grittier options? sequel. <laughs> Do they have options in the book, like a little bit of guidance for you for if anyone at your table is like, actually, I would prefer not to do body horror stuff. Or are they like, well, you've ended your game at chapter four. You may as well have just owned the starter kit. Good day, sir. I believe the book essentially is just like have this conversation at the very beginning so people don't get invested in this and then discover it's something that they really don't want to do. Like, oh, you could. Like now you could probably be like, you could probably have a discussion that went sort of like, Hey, letting everybody know, like this starts out as, you know, the, the classic Fandelver adventure, but it, uh, after a while it starts to get into some weirder, more cosmic horror type stuff. Um, you know, uh, you might even find some more obsequious ways to have that conversation. So you're not like super spoiling it, but just letting people know that it's going to get weird and it might get uncomfortable. Um, and then just, you know, have your, have your safety tools, and, um, yeah. you know, and let folks know that if they need to bail out of this or we need to make a change, that's totally fine. Like, well, I, w- if you're having- I would not I would not wait to do it. I would <laughs> I would do it up front. That's fair. And if you're having a general consent conversation as part of your session zero, which mm-hmm. I do as part of bigger campaign stuff, um, then that, you know, that's going to be covered in there. Right. But getting back to some of this body horror stuff, uh, like explaining the need for all this. So the reason that it wants you to build up your party's emotional relationships with the with the villagers and the NPCs, it's a very like the the village is very well fleshed out. Um, I guess no pun intended, since we're talking about body horror. (laughs) Um, But uh, the uh, as the as things progress and the, the opponents are collecting the shards of the, of the obelisk, 
um, the town starts to change. The people in the town are being converted into into monsters, mind flares and things like that. Um, so you start to see that and it it's it drives you to try to complete the mission because you've become you know, you've become close with these people. But it talks about the process, the process that 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 happens to change them. And um, because the effects of the obelisk are are through a certain area it's not just the town like the party can be affected by this as well um i believe it discusses that as sort of an option for how you want to play it but um the there's a table for transformation effects uh it's like a d4 table but it talks about like how you know your your players could start maybe having nightmares like sort of imagining the or like seeing the horror in their heads there they could start to have body changes like an extra eye or an extra arm or something like that. It reminded me a lot of descriptions of what would happen in like first edition if you casted beyond your spell slots and then mm-hmm. you would just start getting like weird bodily effects to you. Yep. They'll start they could start getting cravings for gross stuff like like worms or fingernails and stuff. Ah. Yeah, and those are actual examples uh in there. And then they also um could could gain the ability to like warp reality within like 30 feet of them. So it's it's interesting consequences because it creates sort of like um sort of like like fear horror madness checks from like old uh, Ravenloft. Um it it creates a mechanic where players have to essentially fight against themselves while they're doing it, which is a, an interesting role play challenge. But it uh you know, like like we've been saying, like some people just are less comfortable with that than others and Fair. while while maybe you don't want to spell it out a hundred percent, you may want to give them some clues to what the word is. Um, which is funny is funny because there's actually a character in the adventure named wheel of fortune. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tiefling. Oh my God. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the long and, and short of it. Uh, the run through of the plot and everything like that and how it differs. And like I said, like you could, you could just run chapters one through four, call it a day. You could take like if maybe you started your group out on Fandelver years ago, you could just play five through eight and bring them back to that. Um, I, I think. I think the best way to look at this is as two different books that just happen to be bound together, because if you think about it, the pacing is just really off with the way that it's put together now as, as an eight chapter story, right? Because Mm. chapters one through four are relatively mundane where you're hunting goblins. There are some situations where um, like there are crime scenes in the town because goblins have been raiding the town. So you get to do like a little CSI stuff. You get to go and like solve crimes and stuff to um, it's because the goblins have been raiding it, trying to get pieces of the obelisk and stuff. Um, but yeah. then, then like things are relatively normal, but kind of suspicious. And then you cross this threshold where everything just starts getting a lot weirder and you discover like when you get to like, like once you get past like the forge of spells and stuff, it's like, oh, there's like several more layers to this onion and it just gets progressively weirder because then there's like servants of the cultists and then you get to the cultists and then you actually get to the illithids and you have to like go to the far realms and and fight them so there's just a lot there and it feels like if you take it all together it feels poorly paced if you take it 
as chapters one through four are a thing, then maybe you take a break and then come back and do five through eight. The pacing feels a little bit better to me. Um, just, just from a story perspective, that it seems a little off. You spend so long in first gear, and then it just ramps up. But that, that's just my takeaway from it. And I don't think... I think there are many ways to make it work, and I don't think it's bad. Like, I understand why they did it. Um, but this goes back to me wishing that we had done it as more of a remix rather than Fandelver plus this stuff. That's fair. I think that disappoints me a little bit further that they didn't do like, oh, we're in the Fandelver setting, but you're not. Like maybe you even hear about the escapades of the party in the starter kit or something like that. Like you're coming here because you heard about that. And you're like, well, that sounds interesting. Let's dig a little deeper because mm-hmm. you could have fixed all of those pacing problems if you'd written from the ground up. Yeah. And I don't know, three, three chapters of material. If you've already got the starter kit, three chapters of material for 60 bucks Mm-hmm. four I mean, chapters like plus plus monster blocks i thought you said five through oh five through eight five six seven eight yeah yeah i wasn't counting five mm-hmm. <laughs> um even so though like the so you're getting you're basically doubling the book there's a lot of stuff in the starter kit that you don't get here i don't know like it it still feels off to me mm-hmm. um uh, yeah yeah, and I, I wish I, they'd done more. Yeah, it for the people who already have the starter kit, you don't get anything extra out of those first four chapters. It sounds like I think it's it's like really minimal stuff, like maybe some maybe a few scenarios and things like that. I, I admittedly did not take a magnifying glass to both <laughs> to, to go compare it. Fair, but, fair, but um, I did go reread a uh, an older synopsis of of Fandelver just to make sure it kind of matched up and, and 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 it more or less does um i my i know the answer to this question before i ask it but my my big question was like why Fandelver why did we do that rather than not mine like lots of other classics maybe from previous editions and update them and then add this onto them um i think the answer there is because for fifth edition, you know, Fandelver has name value. It's something that people know because it was in the starter kit. So that's probably why they did it that way. And because it was already, it was designed in fifth edition. They didn't have to do any updates or anything like that. They didn't have to recast stat blocks or, or anything. So I can understand why they did it. Um, just fifth edition releases up until maybe last year um, felt very incestuous. Um, just like think of like all the all the different like Strahd and and Ravenloft re-release type stuff, all yeah. the little uh, sort of interstitial books that would come out um, that were sort of more in that thirty dollar price range, like that were supplementary PHB type material. Um, there's just such a rich catalog of adventures that we'll never see official conversions to five E that could have been plugged into this, um, and I. I would have liked to have seen something like that. You've got me wondering now when the 5e starter set came out. Oh, it would have been like 2014, wouldn't it? I think so. I know it's been on shelves the whole time, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, 
And I wonder this in part because, I don't know, it for them to be reusing content from the current edition mm-hmm. to sell in a new book, I don't know, man. I don't know. Not not to steal your usual seat, uh, but it feels like a, a blatant cash grab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be a little more objective and thoughtful in how I approach this kind of stuff, just because, like, you know, business is business. And like, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's wrong. But like also, by definition, any engagement in the selling of goods in exchange for currency is a cash grab. Um, you know, you're just, you're, you're trying to see if it's, you're putting something out there that you think people will pay money for. And maybe, maybe the thought is that we're nine years in from when Fandover came out and, you know, it's time to repackage it and re-release it, which is better than the, uh, initial versus re-release window for Curse of Strahd. That's fair. That's fair. I, uh, while trying to figure out when Lost Minds of Fandelver was released, learned something, which okay. is uh, <laughs> they changed the starter set adventure in 2022. And I don't know that I noticed that. I didn't notice it either, but it makes sense. It is, it is now Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. Yeah, I remember this now that we're talking I, about it. I vaguely recall talking about Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. I do not recall at all that that was going to be the new starter set adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, here's the here's the thing, though, like, you know, they did that knowing that this was coming out. Right. Um, But also, like, there's tons of people out there who already have, you know, the Fandover starter set and we're not giving that and we're not giving them anything new for it. Like, right. you know, like in a in a perfect world where where, you know, the future and you can plan for this kind of stuff. Like if you have a UPC for the starter set, you should be able on D&D Beyond to redeem that for chapters five through eight <laughs> or something or or at least get a discount on it or something like that. I'm not like, I, go ahead. I did see on the D&D starter set page, they talk about um, the previous D&D starter set, which they released in 2014. As you said, mm-hmm. um, is still available at retailers, including Amazon. In addition, the Lost Minds of Fandelver adventure has been unlocked for all new and existing D&D Beyond users. Learn more and sign up for an account at D&D Beyond. So they basically were like, yes, we're replacing that adventure. But now you can have that adventure for free if mm-hmm. you're willing to go digital. Right. Or for, you know, through other retailers. So since they offer it for free, then does that not further undercut the $60 price point for this book uh, where where you get chapters five through eight? This is kind of my thing. Were I in their shoes wanting to justify the $60 price point, I would have grabbed the old Lost Minds of Fandelver book, Mm -hmm. ripped everything out of it, like put all my characters up on a cork board, put all my settings up on a cork board, like all my monsters that are in the area that we interact with. And then just sort of a general outline of how that adventure goes. And then I would have gone, that's a previous party that's been here. You are a new party coming here because of the adventures of that previous party. 
mm-hmm. and I would have set it instead of being level one to what is it six eight I think eight okay instead of setting it to be level one to eight I would have set it to be level three to ten mm-hmm. you know like it I still would want to keep it fairly beginning area because I want it to feel like a beginning area. They can still make the connections with the city folk. They can still have all the like side quest adventures, but then it's a whole new plot in the area. Mm-hmm. It's one to 12. Ah, okay. Yeah. So three to 15. Yes. Yeah. As 14. we, as we were saying that I was like, level eight doesn't feel right for fighting a mind flare. <laughs> so I had to go look fair. My, um, my view on that is maybe a little skewed. I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3, mm-hmm. which, as I understand it, was part of their motivation for the story for this particular adventure. Really? Because they knew what the plot of Baldur's Gate 3 was going to be. Baldur's Gate 3 is massively, massively Mind flare centric mm-hmm. Like, you start out on a nautiloid, you get a tadpole in your head before you even gain control of your character... Most of your party are also tadpoled. Like mm-hmm. that's it's a central key point to the whole thing. Um, and so my understanding is that this was written the way it was in part to capitalize on the buzz around the game, which I respect and support. Synergy I'm all about that. All about that synergistic fourth quarter return. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like were I them, I would not have gone. Okay, so here's this thing that almost everybody who plays our game either has played or is familiar with or can get for free on our digital marketplace. Mm-hmm. Let's jam the first half of the book with that free thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe because because I, I would have expected people to be mad about that. Maybe it was budgetary, you know, like. Maybe they're like, oh, well, we've got, you know, we want to do this. We need to do this many releases to hit a profitability threshold next year. But we've really only got the budget to invest in this much. Like, essentially, if they needed to do X, they were only able to do Y and a half, you know? So, so, I mean, so I, maybe take, I, maybe the idea was taking some pre existing content and, and repurposing it, which we're no strangers to. Um, fair saved them some time, money, and effort that they that meant they could achieve their release goals or they could put that somewhere else. And again, like you know, looking at looking at Fandelver as something that came out almost 10 years ago at this point, they're like, uh, they might have been like, it's probably fine. And you know what? It probably is fine to most people because you got to think like D players. Like people come into the hobby all the time now because it's so much easier. Like folks who are like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, who are getting into it now were between six and 10 when this came out. So it's, it's, it's different. It's different. I, the problem I have with that logic is that as recently as last year and the year before, I was hearing people recommend Lost Minds of Fandelver as a really great intro adventure. And that it like the fact that it is free on D&D Beyond 
is, I would say, even more so, because I mm -hmm. think more and more people are going that digital direction. I don't think I ever will, because of the many reasons I've stated over the many episodes of this podcast, but I respect that people are going that direction, and if they're going that direction, they've got access to that adventure for free. They don't have to spend anything else. They've got Lost Minds of Handelver right out of the gate. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Does... Yeah. And I'm not saying I endorse this or not, but do they then need to operate on sort of a Disney vault style system of something that's <laughs> something comes out, it's available for a year and then it goes out of print and then they can do they can do re-releases on it, but they can then manufacture an event out of that re-release by artificial scarcity. Uh, I mean, from a business standpoint, I could see that certainly being very smart mm -hmm. because then they can be like, oh, we're re-releasing Curse of Strahd, a book you haven't been able to purchase anywhere mm -hmm. for this huge span of time. Like, then I think that sort of re-release makes a little more sense. But I also, I cannot tell you, working at Best Buy and having to tell people that they are not allowed to buy a Blu-ray copy of Sleeping Beauty because it's gone back into the vault. Mm -hmm. That's frustrating as hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I really do feel like the internet has changed societal expectations that that is no longer really sort of like a viable way of doing business broadly. Like, I think you can do that with some certain things. Like, you, well, you can't have your entire product line function like that anymore. Here's the thing with that. Um, you can have that with physical releases and then your streaming platform has everything mm -hmm. because as you and I have discussed on multiple occasions, your streaming platform is basically a monthly rental program. Mm -hmm. Like you never own that content. You don't have a copy of sleeping beauty at home. You have Disney plus, right? Which gives you access to sleeping beauty when and where Disney feels like. It. Mm -hmm. So you could have both systems in place and have the streaming access, which is always readily available. And that's where Wizards of the Coast wants us to go anyway. Mm -hmm. That's why they make it so that the book alone is 60 bucks. The book with the D&D Beyond book mm -hmm. is 70. And as I've said many times before, too, I would be much more inclined to convert myself fully over to D&D Beyond if they treated it like essentially a quote unquote real um subscription service where I subscribe to it for a monthly fee and I get access to everything for as long as I am yeah. subscribed to it. Um, or the danger there or, though, the danger there though um, is just like <laughs> you get into situation like Paramount plus uh, where recently yep. where they had all these budget cuts and like Star Trek prodigy, which had just finished up its first season and already had production going on the second season. They just pulled it off of the service uh, just to save money. And now, you know, it was just announced the other day they're licensing it to Netflix. So Netflix is going to carry season one. Um, and then it'll also be where season two debuts. I don't pretend to understand the economics of how that saves them money. Um, other than now they're probably getting licensing fees from Netflix that they weren't getting from hosting it on their own platform. I think part of that is that if they don't hold the rights to it, mm -hmm. they don't have to pay the tax for the value of the property. Okay. I don't I don't fully grasp that, but I think that's why uh HBO yeah. just deleted a bunch of content. Right. I'll, but we're, I'll say we're a little I'll say that. I'll say this about that and then we'll move on. It doesn't matter if I if we don't understand the economics of it, because if the economics can't be immediately understood by anybody, then it's too complex of an issue. 
That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. What I was going to say was that the other direction I would be okay with, as far as D&D Beyond is concerned, is I I think it should be two things. I think it should be the subscription plan, mm-hmm. like you're talking about, mm-hmm. and it should be like itch.io. Yeah. If I pay for a book, that book, I have rights to the digital copy of that book. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to distribute it. I'm not allowed to sell it. But I am allowed to download it and keep a local copy wherever the hell I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm allowed to download it as many times as I want on as many devices as I want, so long as I'm using my login on their servers, et cetera, et cetera, until such point as they decide to stop hosting it. Yeah. I'd be okay with that because then, much like now, you could have the old copies of things that are still floating around on like archive.org and things like that, that you can't buy anywhere because they don't exist for purchase. Mm-hmm. I'm just, but they do still exist in those libraries. Just because I'm sure Noah's ghost is floating over my shoulder. I will say like, <laughs> just because some of that stuff's on archive.org doesn't mean it should be on archive.org. No. And I agree. Like some of the things that get put on archive.org do not belong there, but some of the things that you literally cannot purchase anywhere because the rights don't exist for anyone and it's it's not available for purchase, mm-hmm. much less for you to be able to support creators with. I think those things being on archive.org and people being able to download them, access them, rehash them, whatever, I think all that's fine, provided that everyone understands just because you can download it doesn't mean you're allowed to use it mm-hmm. for your own personal game. Yeah. And then that you also get into the um, argument about login shares and everything, which Netflix recently just finally decided to put their foot down to. However, um, according to the data, uh, it actually has worked out really well for them because it forced a bunch of people to sign up for Netflix who weren't signing up for Netflix to use it. So it's it's goosed their subscription numbers on that. So, so I, I guess the point, the point I'm getting at there is that like, if you enforce that kind of thing, it can generate the result that you want. I'm of mixed opinions on that, but we will see if they turn those financial gains around into higher quality content. Mm -hmm. Uh, Netflix's stable of programming has been really, really poor Mm -hmm. as of late. Yeah. And I feel like it's a, it's a bad time to be like, and we're going to raise everybody's rates, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, for, for me, the key will be like a year from now talking about right. what those who who'd you retain from there, which is going to be difficult in right. and of itself because Netflix is under no obligation to share any kind of viewership or subscription numbers, except except right. for like stock price stuff. Yeah. 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 But getting getting back to D&D Beyond, yeah. if we were given the option to either subscribe to the digital marketplace Mm -hmm. and you get access to everything that's current and then um as things are going off marketplace you're allowed to like i don't know save a copy or something like that to your account which i think is how it works right now anytime they bring out a new bundle there's books that are on the older side that they don't include in that because they're not really hosting them Mm -hmm. that much Uh, but you're still allowed to I think you're allowed to save a copy to your account and then your account has its own storage limit. I I don't recall exactly how it works. Mm -hmm. Regardless, if it was purely subscription based and you got everything as it comes out and you just had to pay a monthly fee and keep it, I'd be fine with that. Mm -hmm. 
And then if you wanted to buy a book, you could download that book locally, have it locally, still use the online resource for things like quick links, etc. But you could have all of the material from that book locally on your computer. I'd be in support of that as well. I'll tell you the only way but they right would ever now, the only way they would ever do that is if you have two levels of subscription or at least two where it's like one is like all the current edition stuff. And then another one, which is like D and D beyond classic, which means you can access all previous edition stuff. That would be, that would be something that they would probably be open to letting you actually download locally. Maybe I, I get the distinct impression that they don't like the idea of people being able to download locally. Their explanation is always going to be piracy. I, also would be concerned about pirate i am concerned about piracy with our own products mm -hmm. so i get that but the flip side of that is i really don't like mm -hmm. i've paid you money for a product and right. that product is only accessible for as long as you feel like yeah it. well i mean like piracy is kind of um a silly excuse because Plenty of people go and buy the physical book, get a large exacto knife, cut out all the pages from the binding, <laughs> scan them, stitch them together into a PDF, and then upload them to issue.com uh, within probably 48 to 72 hours of a book being released. Like, well, why do you why do you think they're trying to push us to their digital platform? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But they don't want us sharing. They don't want us reselling our books. But, they don't want us. But at the same time, like. It's like it's like they say, like locks locks are only there to stop honest people from doing stuff, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's on D&D Beyond, like you can pirate it off of D&D Beyond real easy. Um, not suggesting anybody do that, but it's it's possible. Like, it's just it's basically the same amount of effort as the person who takes the exacto knife and cuts the pages out of the physical book and scans it. Uh, there are ways to record one screen while browsing the Internet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. Anyways, getting back to Shattered Obelisk, <laughs> here's here's where I landed on it um, after after sitting with it for a while, after I sort of uh, understood and internalized exactly what the release was. I think some yeah. I think sometimes I want too much. Um, and the way if I look at this release in a vacuum where it leads you down a path that's fairly normal and then does a twist that takes you in just a wild sort of Stranger Things, um, uh, Lovecraftian direction. I think that's really turns your world upside down. Exactly. I think <laughs> I think that's really cool because it from the perspective of somebody coming at this book with no background in any of the release, it's like, oh, wow, they really did a head fake on you because they led you to believe this. And then they completely changed the premise of it. Um, I like that kind of long term, long term story burn that goes on there. I know I complained about the pacing earlier, but just in general, I like the idea that they were willing to let that status quo ride for so long and then flip it. Now that only, yeah, that I feel like that applies mostly if you don't recognize that half the book is something that came out nine years ago. Um, like, I think there's a lot of ways to justify why they did it. And it doesn't matter which one you decide on. Uh, it's going to be acceptable to some people and unacceptable to other people. So I think I, I don't think there's a right or wrong there. But I think if you look at the book by itself, just in, like I said, in a vacuum, like, is it worth the money? If you don't have Fandelver and you want to do kind of a, a cool campaign with a twist, then yeah. 
yeah, I think I think it's 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 worthwhile. I can I can nitpick the issues over how they decided to release it and why didn't they write new stuff for the first half of the book and is it worth charging me, you know, 60 bucks for the last four chapters basically if I already have Fandelver without giving me an option to just buy the last four chapters at least on like for a, a lower price or something like that. Um then that that's a different thing, but just by itself, I, I I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a cool update to something that's become kind of like a newer classic in in the D and D literature uh, since fifth edition came out. It, I mean, it was it's a really good introductory adventure. It's very solid and it teaches you everything you need to know in a nice step you know step by step way. Um, and then get up to and including how squishy level one characters are. Right, and then <laughs> and then taking that and actually giving some really, really large stakes to it by the time you get to the end. And with it just being like an eight chapter adventure, essentially, like you're not looking at, you know, two years of like a Strahd campaign or something like that. If you're playing it pretty regularly, like it's it's digestible as well. Um, It's familiar. It's familiar. Uh, It's not. It's not like um, Spelljammer, like really out there that you really have to wrap your head around a little bit. I think especially in this age of like multiverse and other planes of existence and things like that, like Elder God stuff, it's really easy for people to understand. And, you know, it's nice how they folded it into the existing lore, even if that was, like you say, done as sort of a synergy for BG3 coming out. I, you know, if you don't have the original yeah, this is probably worth it. If you don't have the original and you're trying to get some folks into playing um, and you want something that can teach them, but also hold their interest over time and be a pretty good payoff, because like if you can if you become really close with the people of that town and you're able to save it, that's that's pretty nice. That's a, a solid accomplishment, especially for a newer player. Um, so, yeah, I I like it. I like it in a vacuum. I like what it tr- I like what it's trying to do. That's fair. That's fair. I guess my my big thing is, and it sounds like in fairness to them, it sounds like they did add stuff at least mm-hmm. to Lost Minds of Handelver. It's not like they just took that adventure whole cloth and just wedged it into the front half of the book. They did. They added some stuff. They modified a few things, I'm sure. So, and I, I haven't really read it, mm-hmm. so I can't. I myself did not go over it with a magnifying glass. Mm-hmm. I still wish that they had done something same region, same characters, different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get it. I get it. You know, sometimes it's easier to use stuff that already exists, remix it a little bit, update it for your current how things are running, and then re-release it as something newer with more content on the back end. Do you feel like what would you pay for just the back half of the book? Thirty dollars, say. Okay, so if this if they had sold just the back half of the book as a thirty dollar expansion, mm-hmm. you would have been like, hell yeah, that's awesome. I could have even been talked up to like thirty five, um, just because I'm trying to I'm trying to equate it with the shorter books that came out for a while. Um, and and uh-huh. that those I think were twenty nine ninety five, and I'm trying to add some inflation. I'm right. trying to add some inflationary cost to that. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Um, so yeah, like thirty thirty five. Um, okay. Which okay. I'm sure some. I, I'm sure if like somebody from from Wizards or D and D was right, they're like, you're telling me that an adventure that could take 
months for you to play, you would only pay like $35 for it. And I think, I think the mental block that I've got there is that like it's built on the back of something else, you know, does, does that make sense? It's like, if it's like a DLC, it's like a DLC to Fandelver. Um, and, and I'm not going to pay as much for the DLC as I did for the core game. Unless it is, uh, literally the core game in length. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't think the starter kit costs $60, does it? I don't know, because I... I just had that page up. Hold yeah, on. I haven't bought a starter kit in a long time, and I don't remember. <laughs> 20 bucks. 20 bucks? 20 bucks for a starter set. So, at most, I feel like this book should have been 40 bucks, mm-hmm. is where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, like, I, I get that they've got their bottom line, they've got their stock shareholders etc that they've got to appease but if you're gonna give me a 60 dollar book then make it all new content Mm -hmm. if you're gonna give me half an old book and uh half a new book then i feel like the two pieces combined i could have seen 45 probably would be pushing it for me Mm -hmm. for the book as it stands right now because you can basically go, look, it's not just Lost Minds of Handelver with a new back half. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we rehashed some stuff. We did some rewriting. All of that costs money. That's got to come from somewhere. To charge us 60 bucks for something that the first half of which is basically a retouch. Mm-hmm. And then the last half of which is new stuff. I don't know. And that sits wrong. with. I me. feel like we're internally consistent because if I recall <laughs> more than a year ago when the multiverse book came out, we were having the same conversation because they <laughs> because like they pulled um, it was it was the it was the multiverse bestiary and they pu- yep. pulled a lot of stat blocks from previously published things. So I right. so and rehashed them a little. Bit. Yeah. So I don't I, I feel like we're internally consistent in this in this criticism, at least. Um, yeah. But I, I guess. And that is like far be it from me to stop anyone mm-hmm. who wants to go out and get this book, especially if you've never run Lost Minds of Fandelver before. Like, do not take that as you're getting ripped off, because if you get. Oh God, if you and four other people get three days of enjoyment out of it, mm-hmm. then that's the, the math yeah. on that turns out very good. And, and people's purchasing habits aren't necessarily linear, right? Like back when I was uh, in the newspaper business, you know, we would talk about like, oh, well, like, you know, where should we run this follow up story to this story that ran a couple of days ago? Like, we do we need to run it? Like, we can probably bury it way back in the paper since we ran the first one. Uh, like on A1 or somewhere high in the A section. And we would always say, well, like, well, yeah, but like not everybody reads every story, you know, so we have to keep that in mind and not everybody buys yeah. every book. So they, yeah. they have to keep that in mind. And, you know, as for, yeah. as for the price point, like I've said before, like I, you know, I understand printing costs. I know that's a thing. I know that's true. I know material costs increase. So you got to make up for that. It just like, I think the timing is poor from from a a optics perspective that costs on a physical book go up by ten dollars and then very soon after they release a book that has about 
40 to 50% old content in it. <laughs> I think, I think that yeah. could have been handled a little bit easier. Like if they had, yeah. if they had released this a year ago. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think overall it's, it's not hard to see people getting their money's worth out of this, mm -hmm. but it stings a little bit that it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And if you good listener, have an opinion on this uh please find us on the discord at bit.ly slash goblin discord to share your complaint slash praise slash neutral opinion uh and you know find josh on blue sky and let him know about that um if you want to uh if your friend has uh, a really uh strong opinion about this but they don't listen to the podcast then you should definitely telephone telegraph tell a friend about the goblins and growlers podcast because word of mouth is a great way to increase the listenership and uh once we've got your listenership we would really love it if you could give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice uh only five-star reviews please if it's less than five stars please submit a ticket and we will <laughs> we will try and address your problem uh, to get you back our, up to that five-star level of service. Our help desk will get with you as soon as they can. Yeah, we're implementing a JIRA <laughs> system. Um, it'll have drop-downs for all the different situations that you could possibly report. <laughs> including you suck. <laughs> oh my god. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Josh, do you have anything to add on the way out the door? Um, yeah, you should check out our link tree. That's where all of our social media stuff is. That's also where the Goblins Growlers store is, as well as the Goblins Growlers website. There's a lot of good things on there. It's linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers, all lowercase. And you can find the newsletter there, which Brandon sets up and sends out once a month with a lot of good TTRPG info, as well as a little bit of TTRPG news. Yes, uh, news you can use, news you maybe didn't know you needed to know, updates on the podcasts, uh, uh, a hint at stuff that's coming in the store, maybe some coupon codes, uh, and always uh, thrown out a really cool uh, indie game from Itch that's either free or cheap. So check it out. Uh, I very much appreciate it. I will not spam you because it's all I can do to get this thing out monthly. <laughs> with everything else We're too I've got busy going to be spamming people. Yeah, I've got We've got too much else going on. Yeah. So my monthly is about my limit on that cuz I have to write the whole <laughs> thing too. Um yeah. But that's that's where I'm at um you know, if you if you've uh read through the new Fandelver book, let us know what you thought. Um and then we will catch you all in 2 weeks. Sounds good. Bye y'all. Bye. The curse snuck up on you, and now you can't escape. You're not sure how or when it began, but every waking moment, you feel the machine call to you. I managed to make it sound off, and then I connected it to the speaker. Nothing sophisticated, but nothing ever is at the beginning. Behind its words are music, beckoning you to build. The impossible notes echo in your mind, and you know what you must do. You can see it now this manifold instrument. I just want to get back to its screws, gears, and posts. It's destined to become something greater than any of us can understand. You will complete this infernal machine, or die trying. I've got to stop this. Take the thing apart. It's a bloody windmill and I'm done tilting. 
October 30th, Goblins and Growlers presents The Machine, a serial journal role-playing game adapted into an audio drama.